and and uh, we are very thankful to be here in Ireland when we came on the 30th of December and we participated in a seminary course just this week. Can you imagine in five days we had 50 hours of uh, teaching and we really enjoyed and benefited from it. And there I met uh, Pastor Hamilton, many of you know him, and uh, he has invited us and we were there in the morning service and uh, we have had a blessed time and uh, this evening we are here. Uh, to share with you from the Word of God about the call of God. Amen. Let me start with a statement about church planting. Church planting is not difficult. Do you agree with that? That church planting is not difficult? Where there are other things in life, for example, playing the violin, that's difficult. And people, <laughs> people practice hours and hours to be good at it. But church planting is not like that. It's not difficult. It is impossible. That is why God has to do it. But Jesus did not say, I will build your church, nor did he say that you will build my church. But he said, I will build my church. And he can do the impossible. But for reasons sufficient to himself, he chose us and he wants us to be involved in serving him. And that is a wonderful privilege and honor for us. And as we consider tonight the call of God, let us see several examples from the Old Testament and from the New Testament to see how they responded in order for us to learn how we should respond to the call of God. Let us pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise your name this evening. I praise you for creating the world. I praise you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, to die for our sins. And as we celebrate his glorious resurrection, please help us tonight to be focused Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please help me to be clear and understandable. But please give all of us attentive and focused hearts so that we would open, we would be open to your message and that we would respond to it in a way that you want us to respond to it. Lord, please let your words be heard and be obeyed tonight. I pray that you would bless this evening as we study your word and we want to apply it to our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we consider the call of God, let us first look to the Old Testament, and let us see how God called individuals in the Old Testament. First of all, Abraham. We know about him, that God spoke to him as he called him and said in Genesis chapter 12, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and to a land that I will show thee. And you know, Abraham, he had a big family, even though he had no children at that point. He had many relatives with, in his father's house, many servants, and he was a wealthy man. And God called him to leave his country behind, to leave his relatives behind, and to leave his father's house behind, to go to a land that he had never seen before, that God will uh, was going to show him. And how did he respond? In Hebrews chapter 11, we learn that by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Friends, he didn't know where he was going. Maybe your situation is similar tonight. You have question marks. You don't know the next step. But we must trust God that he knows all the answers to our questions. And even though we don't know all the details, we should, like Abraham, take a step of faith and go even though we don't know all the answers, our situation is certainly similar. 
We don't know where exactly we are going to live in the third district of Budapest. We don't know who the people are. We don't know their names and their faces. But we know that God knows them. And God knows all the steps ahead of the way. And we just want to, we just want to take steps and knowing that God will provide for the rest. So as we consider Abraham, we should learn from him that he obeyed and he went out not knowing where he went. Or as we think of Samuel, you know, the little boy Samuel, as he was sleeping at night, he heard his name. Samuel, Samuel. So he got up and he went to the high priest and says, he called me, I'm here. And he said, no, no, go back to sleep. I didn't call you. And this happened the second time and the third time. And finally, the priest remembered this must be the Lord speaking to the lad. And so he said, next time you hear the call, next time you hear your name, you should respond with these words. As we read in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And we should mark this sentence. We should underline it because God wants to speak to us, but we need to have an attitude saying that, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear your will. I want to hear your call. I'm open. I'm ready. Your servant heareth. We need to learn from Samuel. But sadly, not all examples are that good in the Old Testament. Who likes to play table tennis tonight? Who is here who likes, to, loves to play table tennis? There are several hands. I see, I love that sport. I like just playing table tennis. But there was a man who played table tennis with God. Hint, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> His name was Moses. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3 as we consider how Moses played this game of table tennis with God. Whenever God called him. He always found a way to hit the ball back. He found a way to bring up an excuse. Let's see what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 3. Why don't you turn there? And starting at verse 10, we read, God speaking to Moses and calling him, saying, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. And Moses said, Let's go. Did he say that? No. In verse 11, And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses said, oh Lord, I'm just a nobody. Who am I to do that? But God responds in the following verse and He says, Certainly I will be with thee. God promises His presence to Moses. Does this sound any familiar to you? Something in the New Testament that Sounds familiar to this statement? I will be with thee. I will be with you. Who said that? Well, Jesus said to his disciples just before he went back to heaven, he said, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them and I will be with you. Till the end of the world. But was the promise of the presence of God enough for Moses? Sadly, no. One more time, he hit the ball back and said in verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The Lord of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Lord, okay, let's suppose I'm going to go. But what if they ask me some questions? How will I respond? Maybe you say, Lord, you want me to go out and witness to my friends or witness to strangers? But what if they ask me some questions? <laughs> How will I respond to them? What will I say? Verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Moses, I am the one who was and who is and who will be the ever-existing one. 
Friends, did you know that God's existence has no conditions? If I go five minutes without oxygen, five, uh, five days without water, five weeks without food, I'm just going to die. My earthly existence has conditions, but you know, God's existence has no conditions attached to it. He is the one who was and who is and who will be. Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever the same. He said, Moses, don't worry about who you are. Don't worry about people asking questions. I am that I am. But was the ever-existing God enough for Moses? Sadly, no. In chapter 4, verse 1, we read yet another excuse. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. The Lord, I'm going to go and witness to my friends, but they will say, Oh, you just made it up. God doesn't even exist. I don't believe you. Moses said, They won't believe me. In, in verse 2, God answers with a question. Moses, what is that in thine hand? Moses, what is that in your hand? Was it a laser gun? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a magic wand either. It was a humble shepherd's rod. But you know, when Moses took that humble shepherd's rod and put it in God's hands, then God did the miracles. Then he was able to turn that rod into a snake and back into a rod. He touched the waters of Egypt and they turned into blood. He lifted up the same rod and the Red Sea parted and he hit the rock in the wilderness and water came out in the desert, which teaches us a lesson. Whoever you are or whatever you have, if you just put it in God's hands, then he will do the miracles. But sadly, even that wasn't enough for Moses. Verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my, 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 my Lord, not, 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 not eloquent, not, 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 neither here, here, here to for no, nor, nor since thou hast spoken unto that servant. But I'm slow of speech and, and of a slow tongue. God, I, can, I, I cannot stand in front of a group and speak. I'm going, I, I'm going to be so nervous. My palms sweat. My, my voice will break. I, can, I, I, I just can't do this. Oh, maybe you feel the same. Lord, you want me to talk to my friends. I, I, I won't be able to talk. In verse 11, the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and tease thee what thou shalt say. God says, Moses, don't worry about even your uh, physical inabilities. I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what you should say. And Moses finally says, Okay, God, then send whoever you want to send. And then, don't get to this point. Because in verse 14, comes the big strike that you cannot give back. We read in verse 14 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Please, don't argue with God until he becomes angry with you. It's much better to respond on the first call without bringing up all the excuses, just like Isaiah. Isaiah, who saw the glory of God, and immediately he realized his own sinfulness. Then God cleansed him, and then God put out the question. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now you tell me, how many people were there when God asked this question? Only one. But still, he phrased the question in such a way that Isaiah could respond with voluntarily obedience. Let us illustrate the point. Who should we send? And who will go for us? 
Who am I thinking of? <laughs> I believe when God wants to call you, He makes it obvious, but still He gives you the opportunity to respond with voluntarily obedience. Just like Isaiah. He didn't say, Isaiah, why don't you go? I, I want you to go. He said, who will go? Whom shall we send? And he said these words, here am I, send me. Could we say that together? Here am I, send me. We need to mark these words because they might come in handy, you know, when God calls you. You should say, here am I, Lord, send me. And, oh, I also love the story of Jeremiah. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, um, this uh, prophet reminds me of the first time and when I took my wife to the ultrasound examination, when she was uh, 12 weeks into her first pregnancy, and for the first time in my life, on that monitor screen, I saw my little son. Little, tiny baby, there 12 weeks in the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Side note, there is a human being in the womb. There is a life in the womb. And God has a plan with that life. He told Jeremiah, even before you were born, I had a plan for your life. And this is true of you and me. Even before we were born, God had a plan for my life and for your life. He already chose and ordained uh, Jeremiah. But let's look at his response in verse 6. Then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a child. Oh Lord, I'm too young. Or I'm too old. Or I'm too poor. Or I'm too rich. Or <laughs> whatever you wish. Uh, I cannot go. I'm just a child. I'm too, Lord, you want me to go to Budapest? I'm not even 30 years old. And in verse 7, the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. He says, Jeremiah, don't say, I'm too young. Just go where I sent you. Just say what I tell you to say. It's that simple. It's not complicated at all. And we need to respond. Just like Jeremiah, in the end, he had... A ministry that if you looked at his ministry, you would say it's not successful. People didn't listen to him. But in the end, he was one of the greatest prophets. And as we turn our attention to Ezekiel, you know, I, uh, when I was a little kid, I had to choose an instrument. And I chose the trumpet. Ezekiel, he was a watchman. He needed to blow the trumpet. But you know, the trumpet really is the Lord's instrument. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend all the uh, guitar players and uh, piano players, but really, the trumpet is the Lord's instrument. <laughs> he will not come back with the sound of the violins, no. <laughs> He'll come back with the trumpet sound. And he told Ezekiel, I have said the watchman unto the house of Israel, therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them for me. You know, the watchmen were people who were standing at the high and elevated towers. They were supposed to look out to see the enemy when the enemy is coming. And they should blow the trumpet if the people don't get ready in the city and they get killed. It's their fault. But if I, as a watchman, I see the danger coming and I don't blow the trumpet and they get killed, it's going to be my fault. 
We need to warn people. There is a danger coming. Your life is in danger. Eternal condemnation awaits you if you don't turn to Jesus. We need to warn them. We need to blow the trumpet just like Ezekiel did. Whereas we think of the example of Amos. His story is very, very close to my heart because I myself can relate to this prophet. He says in Amos chapter 7 and verse 14, he said, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and the gatherer of sycamore fruit. He said, I was not a prophet, I worked in agriculture, I was a herdman and I gathered fruit. My story is similar. I used to be, before God called me to be a missionary, I used to be a school teacher. I taught the favorite subjects of my students. You know what those are? Math and physics. How many of you liked physics or science in school? Oh, glad, I'm glad to see that. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you should come once and see my experiments. And then you will notice that physics is fun. But, uh, if we look at the next verse, And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy. You know, God called me from the classroom, just like He called Amos uh, from the flock. And you may know the story of, you know, Elisha. When, when God called him, he took the, he took the ox and the sacrifice them. He, he, uh, took the, he took, took his tools, uh, and he set a big fire, and he sacrificed the ox, and then he followed the calling of God. I, I did the same in my physics lab. I set it on fire. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> and, and, and there you see a big black rectangle where, you, where the school used to be. <laughs> but anyways, uh, people told me that I was crazy for, for leaving my certain job. You know, in Hungary, you, you can have a, a limited contract or you can have a status. The status means that you cannot be fired. Uh, you can work there uh, as long as you want. They cannot fire you. And you know, you have to work many years before you get the status. But they gave it to me after one year. And when people found out that I was leaving my job, they said, you're crazy. You could have worked here. You could have made a career. And, well, we shouldn't expect the people in the world to understand when we follow the call of God. Uh, unlike Jonah, you know, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, the great city. God called me, my family, to go to the great city of Budapest. But Nineveh was also a great city. This way is Nineveh. Which way did he go? He went the opposite way and he got into all sorts of trouble. You know, when you don't follow the call of God, that can happen to you. But thankfully, after he spent one semester at the Whale Valley Theological Seminary, <laughs> we read in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God is a God of second chances. But let me ask you tonight, how many times does God have to speak before you respond in obedience? Two times? Ten times? A hundred times? Why don't we respond on the first call? Just as we notice how Jesus called His disciples as we turn our attention to the New Testament right now. And let's consider how Jesus called His disciples. But we need to do it step by step. Because it's a very complicated, complex process. I, I want to break it down to steps. Okay, so first step. He went up to somebody and said, follow me. That's it. <laughs> really, it's, it's not so complicated after all. We see that over and over again. As we consider Simon and Andrew in Matthew chapter 4, and he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? They straightway left their nets and followed him. Mark, Matthew chapter 9, as we see Matthew 
the IRS agent of his day, uh, the tax collector. He was, you know, working for the Roman government, collecting taxes. And in Matthew 9, 9 we read, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. The same we see with Philip in John chapter 1. And the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find that Philip and said unto him, Follow me. The same we see with James and John in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, there was James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and Jesus called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father. They left Zebedee and sons incorporated, and they followed him. But you know, following Jesus has a price. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 23, we read, Jesus is speaking, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay, Jesus says, you want to come after me? First, you need to deny yourself. Now, what does it mean to deny yourself? There's something you like to do. Something you like to do better. Oh, you like to teach. Oh, you like to do experiments. You like to work with lasers. Well, deny yourself and follow Jesus. And then take up his cross daily. You need to take up your Cross. Now, the cross today is a sort of a religious symbol. In those days, it was a symbol, but not a religious one. It was a symbol of execution, suffering and shame. As if I were to tell you today to put a hanging rope around your neck, put a hangman's noose on your back and walk around like that in the city, like a man to be executed. This is our identification with our Savior who suffered for us. And we need to be ready to suffer for Him. To walk in his footsteps. You know, we read in the Bible, we need to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Well, if he suffered, then what does it mean regarding us? We need to suffer for him. But he was glorified, and we will be glorified with him. Jesus also said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We should not look back. We should not be like the wife of Lot, you know, who was uh, advised... Not to look back, but he took this advice with a grain of salt. <laughs> but faster than you can say sodium chloride, she turned into a pillar of salt. We should not look back. We should look forward and follow Jesus. Amen. Just like as we see the example of Paul, as God called him, as we see in Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul uh, telling the story of his conversion and of his call, we see there in Verse 7, of course, we see how he was persecuting the believers and then he saw the great light from the sky and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I, I answered, verse 8, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And then in verse 10, there is a very good question again. What shall I do, Lord? Mark this one. This might also come in handy. What shall I do, Lord? A perfect question. Lord, just after he, he was saved. And Lord told him, arise and go. We could say, so far, so good. Uh, then we meet him in the temple. In verse 17. He was in the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 18, and uh, saw him, talking of God, saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And then Paul responded, 
Well, God, I see your point there. I think I have a better plan. Do you do that sometimes? Okay, okay, Lord, I see your point, but listen to this. Listen to this, Lord. They know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiments of them that slew him. Lord, I know so many people in Jerusalem. I have so many friends there. Lord, uh, they see the change in my life. Why don't you allow me to stay here? I could say the same. Lord, I was born and raised in the city of Peach, southwest Hungary. I know so many people there. I have relatives. I have friends. I have a good church. Why do you want me to go to Budapest? I didn't even like the city in the first place. Why would you like me to go there? I don't know anyone there. But verse 21 says, Paul, don't argue with me. Depart, for I will send thee far. Far hence unto the Gentiles. And aren't you glad that he finally obeyed? I believe that at least one of the reasons we are here tonight is because Paul obeyed that call many years ago. And God used him to bring the gospel to Europe and at the end of his life, he was able to encourage young Timothy. Now, I really want you to turn to Second Timothy chapter 1. Um, because I would like to see this, I'd like you to see this wonderful promise. This wonderful truth here. This is, uh, Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Where we read, Who hath saved us, talking about God, and called us with a holy calling. Now listen, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You, many of you probably know, hope all of you know, that we are saved by grace and through faith, and not of our good works. But there's more than that. Not only we are saved by His grace and not our works, God calls us according to His grace and not my works. I know that God called me. Not because I'm so special or I could do special things. I'm not. I'm the 23rd nobody. But God called me because He had a purpose in my life. Amen. And He has grace to make that purpose a reality. Not because of my works. And really, this is God's plan. We began by saying that Jesus Christ promised, I will build my church. But how does He do it? What is His plan for the present? Well, it is obvious from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that the church is not a, the building, it's not a structure, it is, we read, we also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. God wants to build a spiritual house, the local church, using lively stones, living stones, stones that are alive, and these are we. God wants to use us to build up the spiritual house. For what purpose? In Ephesians 4.12. We see the perfect uh, statement, uh, Ephesians 4.12, why, question why, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, this is the purpose, really, of the local church, or uh, especially the context is talking about why God gave the pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the equipping of the believers for the work of the ministry. Uh, the pastor is not there to do everything. It's not for him to preach and then to mop the floors and to go out on the streets and witness and put uh, literature in mailboxes and, and that he should do everything and you just sit back and enjoy the show while eating popcorn. It's not like that. It is his responsibility to equip the believers for the work of the ministry so that they can do uh, the ministry. They can be involved in serving God. 
and also perhaps mopping the floor. <laughs> so, so this is really the statement that also we read in Colossians 1, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is my personal desire, to help people to grow in Christ, that we may present them mature believers. Let me share some words of my testimony. I was saved in 1995. Well, even though I don't come from a Christian family, my parents were nominal Catholics. And um, one time an American missionary family came to my city and they were looking for someone who would help them uh, around their house and watching their children. And my grandmother, she just retired. And so she thought that she would apply for this uh, job. And she did. And so she started working for the Knis family, whom you saw in the video presentation. And they started a little Bible study in their living room. And I was there, 1995, Easter Sunday, when the church was still meeting in the living room. And then, a few months later, 11th of June, 1995, the church was meeting in a school classroom. And there I heard the gospel. And I responded to it, and I raised my hand at the invitation. And two ladies from that church showed me from the Bible, from Gospel of Matthew, how there is a wide road that leads to destruction. And there are many who walk on it. And there is a narrow gate and a narrow road. And there are only a few who find it. And that day, my friends, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He forgave my sins. And I became the child of God. And I know I have eternal life. But also that day, I received the Bible. And the people who led me to Christ, they wrote a verse on the inside cover of my Bible. The verse says... Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, that day, God began something in my life. And that promise was always there to ensure me that what God began, He wants to perform it, He wants to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And from an early age, I was always interested in missionaries and their ministries. We would always have missions conferences, and I would go up to the speaker and ask them, all sorts of questions, and then later when I was older, I would take them out and just ask them about their ministry and various things. And God really worked in my heart, and He called me to be a preacher, and I knew that He called me to the Christian ministry in 2003 at a missions conference with the verse, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation of everyone that believeth. And so God showed me that I needed to reach my own people. You know, Hungary, a country of 10 million people and only a handful of churches that preach the true gospel. Hungary, a country where we speak a language that is not related to any other language in Europe. It's not Slavic, it's not German-based, it's not Latin-based. It's not related to any other language. It's a language where we make very long words. Our longest word is said to be, one word, That's one word. And so, you can see that I have an advantage uh, being a missionary to my country. I grew, up, I grew up speaking this language. I know the culture and I know how, how people think and everything. So, I'm glad that God called me to my own people. And then I was praying for an er, for, from an early age uh, that God would give me a godly wife. You know, And the Bible says that whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. And this is really true. I married up... Uh, uh, in Hungary, it is very difficult to find a pastor's wife. Uh, I'm sorry, pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I will get there. But 
it's really difficult to find a pastor's wife to be who who is a daughter of a preacher, a Hungarian preacher. So you get the full sentence. You have to wait until it's over. But the thing is, in Hungary, there are only three Hungarian uh, pastors, independent Baptist pastors. And of the three, there are only two who have daughters my age. So uh, I really, I really pray that God would give me uh, an opportunity. But really, uh, I told Johanna, when we started our courtship, I said, God called me to follow his call. And I am only interested in this uh, marriage if you are interested in following God. For all of you who are uh, still uh, single, I would give this to you as a good advice. Say this. Well, I'm only interested in marrying you if you are interested in following the call of God. And you know how she responded? She says, wherever God sends you, I will follow. We got married and she kept her word. She has followed me to 17 countries. And we have had a great time. And, and as we started our life together, one day we were driving through a certain district of Budapest. And as I looked around, I had to ask my wife, is this still part of Budapest? It didn't look like it to me. You know, from early on, from my childhood, I had an image of Budapest in my head. I thought of it as a beautiful city where there are only tourists. So I thought, thought to myself, how could one plant a church here? There are only tourists, you know, they go back home. You can't plant a church. But this one time, I saw a completely different face of the city. It was more like my hometown page. Oh, I saw the 10 and 15 story buildings. I saw people walking on the street, moms pushing strollers, people sitting on benches, and our hearts were moved. So we did some research, and we found out two facts. Number one, that there are 126,000 people in that district alone. And in in the district directly below it, there are 90,000 people. Altogether, more than 200,000 people with no church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after researching these facts, our hearts were moved, so we started praying. And God used in our lives as we read the Bible in our devotions and uh, as we listened to the messages in church. God said to us, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. We knew that God wanted us to go there, to move there, because He wants to establish a church there. We shared our vision in our home church And I told my pastor, we are going to go and share our vision in all of the churches in Hungary. And he asked me, and what are you doing next month? (laughs) And so we prayed about it. And really, God gave us the vision to, to go to churches in Europe and to give them an opportunity to be involved in reaching Europe with the gospel. And we have been to several countries. This last year we have driven... 50,000 kilometers, that would be 30,000 miles, and we have been in close to 50, almost above 50 churches altogether, and not only in Hungary, but also in Austria, in Germany, in France, in Belgium, in Italy, and in Romania. And right now, uh, praise the Lord, we have 77% of our needed support. So this is only what God can do, because when we started out, people told us it's impossible to do deputation in Europe. But praise the Lord, He can do the impossible. He has brought us to churches, many times very small churches, and they have taken the step of faith to partner with us in our ministry, and for which we are thankful. Because God has given us a great vision, I believe, not only to be involved in one church planted in Hungary, but I'm praying for 100 churches to be planted in our generation. We cannot do that. Only God can do that. But I believe that God can do that through training, 
uh, nationals and we would send them out to be church planters. The churches would multiply in Hungary. And as we have looked at that, God has given us also another step of faith in which I had a plan and God had a plan. What do you do in that case? Well, I discarded my plan. I went with God's plan. My plan was to be a bivocational pastor, so to say a tent maker, to continue teaching and be a pastor. But God showed us very certainly, very definitely, that we needed to trust Him fully and be involved in the full-time ministry. Friends, this was not my plan. I, I didn't want to do this. God showed me that this is His will. So I want to follow God's will. And it has been our wonderful privilege to travel around in Europe and to see churches share our burden and our vision. And uh, we are here in the month of January in Ireland, and we are glad to have opportunities to go to various churches. Last Sunday we were with Pastor Bob Zamaski in River Valley Baptist Church, and they have already voted to take us on, which was a great encouragement for us. And right now, as we conclude, in the last uh, 40 minutes of this sermon... No, no, no. It's going to be the last five minutes. Okay, last five more minutes. In the last five minutes, uh, let's consider how should we all respond to the call of God. Because we have seen characters from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. I have shared my testimony how I responded to the call of God. But let's consider together how we should respond tonight to the call of God. What can we do for missions? First of all, we need to pray. The most important thing for us, you, you should pray for us. And I'm, I'm being honest. I'm not preaching. I'm saying the truth. <laughs> but really, uh, the most important thing that you can do for us is if you pray for us. If, if you take time to look at our display table, we have various things from Hungary. I don't know if you knew that the Rubik's Cube actually came from Hungary. And there are other things, interesting things that you can look at. But please, take one of our prayer cards. I encourage you to take one per household. And just to put it up on your mirror or your fridge or somewhere where you can see it, you know, a prayer card is also a promise. By taking one, you promise to pray for us. And we are very grateful if you do this, because we have chosen the verse, Second Thessalonians 3, 1, it's written there, Brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. We see how God is glorified here in this church by God's word having a free course. And Paul said to the Corinthians, He also helping together... By prayer for us. If Paul needed people to pray for him, how much more do we need you to pray for us? And we really appreciate if you decide to continuously, regularly pray for us and our ministry in Hungary. The Bible also teaches us that we should not only pray, we can sacrificially give to the Lord's ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read in verse 7, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, a great chapter... On giving, Paul says, speaking about the churches in Macedonia, he brings them up as an example how they gave, not from what they had, but from what they didn't have. And, and God shows in verse 7 of chapter 9, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that he always, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God says, only give if you can give cheerfully. Don't give if you think you need it more. But He says, if you decide to give, listen to this, God can make His grace abound. Not only that you will have all sufficiently for yourself, but you can abound. You will have more in order to give. 
And this has been a great encouragement for me. Many years before I became a missionary, I held on to this promise and God has proven himself true to his promise. And lastly, let us turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I really want you to see the most important thing and to see the heart of the Apostle Paul and also our hearts. We share his mind and his heart as he describes in chapter 4, verse 17. Please listen to this. It says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says, thank you very much for what you have sent me. This church was supporting Paul's ministry. He says, that's not the most important thing. Listen to this, Paul says. Whenever you pray for a missionary or you give towards missions and then fruit comes out from that ministry. Oh, everyone loves tasty, nice fruit. God takes that fruit and puts it on your account just as if you worked there. How can we fulfill the Great Commission? How can we uh, take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world? We can certainly reach our own community but we can pray for those and we can give towards the mission of those who are in the uttermost parts, the other parts of the world. And Paul says here, not because I desire gifts, and you should see our hearts. Not that we desire the gift, but mostly we desire this fruit, that God would take this fruit and put it on your account and to share with the fruit of the ministry. This is really our heart's desire. And lastly, we should also go. Not only we should pray and give, you cannot say, oh Lord, I have prayed, I have given... Now I can sit down. No. God wants us to be involved, to reaching our own community, our own Jerusalem, so to speak. How many missionaries are here this evening? Let me see. How many missionaries are there? Well, a famous saying states that every Baptist, every believer is a missionary. If you have a mission, what does that make you? It makes you a missionary. I know that this term has a broader and a narrower meaning, but in the broader sense of the word, how many missionaries do we have tonight? I believe we all have a mission. We all are missionaries. But I know that there are some who are especially called to move to a certain place in order to be involved in church planting. But God wants all of us to be involved. Because Jesus said in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You probably know that you can sing God's praises in heaven. You can fellowship with him. You can worship him there in heaven. But there is something you cannot do in heaven. You cannot witness to a lost person about Jesus Christ. Only in this short life that soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And he also said the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. You know, we are surrounded by spiritually dead people. They need to hear the voice of the Son of God through us. And they that hear shall live. What a wonderful privilege and honor to serve such a God. And tonight, as we consider the call of God, I don't know what it is for you. If you have not been saved, this is a call to salvation. Come unto me if you're burdened and I will give you rest. If, if you are not sure that you're going to heaven when you die, we can show you from the Bible how you can be 100% sure and then this is a call to salvation. If you have already been saved uh, gloriously, then maybe this is a call to be more obedient. Maybe it's a call that tomorrow you would go out and give a gospel tract or two. Or to just say your personal testimony to someone who is still on their way to hell. Or maybe, just as God used a missionary in this little boy's life to call him to the ministry, maybe today he wants to use this little former little boy, this missionary, to call one of you to the full-time ministry. As I said, 
I don't know what the call of God is tonight. But let me encourage you to respond with these words. Here am I. Send me. Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your call. I praise your name for sending the Lord Jesus Christ who made all of this possible. And even though we read in Revelation that an angel will proclaim the everlasting gospel in those years that are to come in the tribulation. Now you have chosen us. You didn't write it in the sky. You don't use angels to proclaim it, but you have chosen us, your children, your servants. Lord, help us to respond in obedience to your call. Help us not to uh, hit balls back, not to bring up excuses, not to say that we are too young or too old or this and that. Please help us to just respond in obedience. Oh Lord, help us to say that we are here available for you and you can send us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would send workers, send laborers unto your, into your harvest. And I pray that when you answer this prayer, we would not be surprised, but we would be glad. Since we pray this, Lord, we ask you to respond in a miraculous way. We are asking the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. I pray that you would use this church. I pray for the pastor and his family to use them to reach this community, this uh, city, this county, this country uh, with the gospel. But Lord, I also pray that you would give them an extended vision of what you can use them to do to reach the uttermost parts of the world, to reach the farthest of countries. Lord, I pray that you would uh, raise up preachers, church planters, that we would see hundreds of churches planted in Europe, in other parts of the world, in this lifetime. Lord, Europe that has become the graveyard of Christianity. Lord, help us to have a revival, have an awakening. Lord, please send a wonderful uh, revival to this continent that we really need. Oh Lord, I pray that you would send and raise up preachers who can preach the true word of God, the gospel of salvation through grace and by faith. Lord, I pray that you would use your word tonight that we have heard that it would come to fruition in our lives, that we would respond in obedience as we apply your words to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would glorify yourselves in our lives, that we would bring glory to you. I ask this in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ.